Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the definitive show on Airbnb hosting, featuring the best advice on how to maximize profits from your Airbnb listing, as well as real-life experiences from Airbnb hosts all over the world. Welcome. Get paid for your pad. 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 This episode is brought to you by Hostly, a company that helps you make beautiful guidebooks for your listing, especially for get paid for your pad listeners. Get two free months of their premium version. For more details, visit hostfully.com slash pad. Welcome to another episode of Get Paid for Your Pet. My name is Jesper. I am your host today, and I'm speaking to Mr. Matt Elder, who is an Australian who has resettled in the United Kingdom and is an Airbnb host there. So we're going to learn all about what it means to be an Airbnb host in the United Kingdom, a lot of... Uh, uh, regulations around long-term renting and short-term renting and stuff and the differences between those. So it's going to be an interesting chat. So Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for that. It's great to be on the other side of the, the podcast and been listening for a while. So excellent. Awesome. And you, what are you uh, thoughts so far on listening to the episodes? I've learned a ton of information out of it before I started doing uh, my own service to accommodation, you know, listening to your podcast and a few of the others out there, you just learn so much and pick up all the bits and pieces. And I think as somebody else has said, you know, they learn 80% of what they, they know through podcasts. Right. Yep. And, you know, I always enjoy having somebody who actually listens to the podcast on the show. So I'm uh, excited to speak to you. Could you share some about your, uh, your background and how you moved from Australia to the UK? Yeah, sure. I'm Australian, born and bred, and I married a, uh, a British lady and we moved over to the UK about four years ago because we had some little kids and the grandparents are over here. And I'd been in Australia and Sydney in particular for about 20 years and decided to, to try something different. So we moved over to the UK and just with the way, you know, very, very aware of pensions and superannuation or 401k and we just needed to deal with that. So we started doing some property investing and that went really well and then just uh Recently, we've decided to expand into the short-term market. It's just better cash flow and deals with a, a few of the uh, the recent changes and legislation attacks and so forth on uh, the traditional landlord. Can you share a little bit more about what's going on in the long-term renting situation in the UK? Yeah, sure. The UK is a small little island with about 65 million people and they haven't been building enough houses for probably the last 15, 20 years. So there's a huge shortfall in supply, which basically means um, prices are ever increasing, rents are ever increasing. So governments, as an attempt to deal with that, rather than deal with the supply issue, been dealing with the demand issue through regulation changes, tax changes, and so forth. And 
the most recent one has been a matter of you are now taxed on revenue rather than profit. So in certain areas, it's become really unprofitable and you're starting to see that filter through landlords selling up or just changing dynamics of the market. And with the short-term rental market, the uh, what they call here the furnished holiday lets, that's actually considered a business. So it falls outside these tax changes. So it's certainly attracting more landlords into the space. So if you're renting out an Airbnb, you only have to pay tax on your profit. But if you're renting out to long-term tenants, you have to pay taxes on the revenue. Is that correct? That's correct. There is some nuance with that. Traditionally, people have bought property in their own personal names, so you get taxed on that. If you're buying it through a company, then you're outside these tax changes. But because the legislation has been retroactive, it means anybody who has previously bought in their personal name means it will apply to them as well. And to move from one to the other, you'd incur a massive stamp duty cost. So it's not just a simple, straightforward solution. And that's that's what's causing some of the pain in the industry. And so because of this change in the tax regulations, you've decided to, you know, to enter the short-term rental market. Uh, you've bought one property and now you're looking at another property, right? That's correct, yes. We've got a portfolio in the outer southeast of London, which is for just normal long-term families and just looking for something with a bit more cash flow. And we also like this particular area. We've been going there for quite a number of years, and it's just that natural extension of, well, let's let's buy this. We'll give it a give it a try. And um, we did that earlier this year. That's been really successful. And we're in the process of uh, purchasing a second one. And the conveyancing process in the the UK is quite long and arduous. In in other countries, you can do it in three to four weeks, whereas the UK it's usually three to four months. And what's that area where you purchase your first Airbnb property? Uh, it's in the southeast of the UK in an area called uh, Kent, and the actual town is Broadstairs, and it's a traditional, you know, people go from London down there to have their summer holidays, sandy beaches, and all, all that sort of stuff. Okay, I'm quite familiar with the south east coast of England because I actually lived there for a year when I was a student. Oh, brilliant. Where was that? <laughs> that was in Southampton. Oh, wonderful. So, no, not quite southeast, I guess, but you know, not too far away either. <laughs> yeah, you still have a bit of sun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's talk about this first property that you invested in. Uh, did you get a mortgage for that? Yeah, we, we had a, a mortgage for that. So, just through the traditional routes. Right. And I guess, you know, I'm trying to think if you rent out long term and you have to pay taxes on your revenue then those taxes could be quite significant because, I mean, what I've seen from you know, people who invest in, in long-term rentals with mortgages, often the total cost, including the mortgage, is quite a significant part of the, of the rent that you receive, right? It could be, let's say you're, you're receiving like $2,000 in rent, then your total expenses could be up to like 1500 or so. Yeah, it, the position basically means that you can be making a loss and you'll be paying tax on it. So it's... It's something which is slowly being phased in over the next number of years. They actually tried this back in Ireland in the 19, from 1998. And within about three years, they realized it was a disaster and rolled it back. So it's going to be an interesting transition time because um, there's a lot of landlords who are only just starting to wake up to this fact that, hey, wait a minute, they're, they're not going to be making any money and they're going to be paying a lot more in tax. And so the property that you bought for Airbnb, how's, how's that been going? Has that been profitable? 
Yeah, from a sanding start, we refurbed it to quite a high spec, took a lot of our knowledge of uh, what tends to break and have problems in our long-term family rentals and just designed up a, a, a higher spec. And it's it's the last 5%, which it seems to be vacation. People really appreciate, you know, having USB sockets uh, everywhere. Um, so then people don't forget their cables and just, you know, nice fluffy towels, really good quality linen, and just uh, try to make things as, as nice a time for our guests as possible. Because that's an interesting point, right? When you buy a property to rent out long term, you're, you have to look at different things than if you're buying something to rent it out short term. So you're saying some of those, some of those differences that you were paying attention to when you bought the property. Can you name some of the things that you, that you looked at that you kept in mind? Uh, as I sort of mentioned, we had the, the USB sockets. I just tried to make everything sort of idiot proof. That was sort of the, uh, the spec to the builder. So in, when you have bathrooms basically tiled every surface possible. So, you know, if somebody was standing in there with a fire hose, it wouldn't make any difference. And just, with lots of the, you know, light sockets and pendant lights and um, just the different ways the windows open and all that sort of stuff. It's always sort of like, you know, what's what's going to be the most useful for a guest staying as a, a short-term rental and what's going to be the least hassle from a maintenance because you probably stay in places where you walk in and the shower's broken or, or, or those sorts of things and it always just leaves that sour or a little taste in your mouth. So try to, to design those things out to begin with. What about the location? Did you do a lot of research before you chose the location? Yes. We just through our normal buying of investment properties, we spend a, a lot of time on the research side of things. Being from overseas, these are all new areas. So I'm a very analytical sort of person. So you need to go through and the UK's got great sort of free levels of detail for lots of you different bits of information. So what have been your experiences so far on Airbnb? Did you get a lot of success from the beginning or did you have to figure things out for a while first? I think it was a matter of figuring it out for a while. Sort of had looked at other properties in the area and they're all being basically rented out for weeks at a time. So you'd have the minimum night stay at sort of like seven nights. That's good once you've got a customer base, but when you're first getting out there and getting started, if if you're on there for seven nights minimum, people generally can't find you. So it was a lot of just little things like that. So very quickly, it's like, okay, we need to drop the minimum night stay. And then we started getting the bookings and, and little quirks like that. Yeah, when you first get started, it's all about just making it as attractive as possible for guests to book, right? Because you know, if you don't have any reviews at and you need to give them some incentive to choose your place over the neighbors who already have like 55 reviews and are super hosts and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, certainly it was that. And uh, part of where we chose our location, we were ultra selective in it. So it's it's 50 meters from the beach. It's You've got beach sea views. You know, you basically got all your shops there. Two minutes, you've got your main street. You've then got, you know, 10 minutes away is the main train station for the area. So we, we were extremely particular on the location because that was always going to make such a difference. And when we'd previously stayed in the area, um, it was basically the same sort of spot. So we'd gone through that whole process of being the customer and going, okay, what are we looking at? Well, we're looking at, you know, for something accessible for the kids and amenities and all the things which will people want when they go to stay on holiday. 
right? So you're catering mostly to families? Yes, we're catering mostly to families. When we purchased the property too, part of the refurb, it was a really large two-bedroom flat, which we then changed and uh, moved some walls around and made into a three-bedroom flat. So that was always part of where we wanted to target. So you can have anybody from a couple just coming down for a weekend or um, intergenerational families. So we've had you know some grandparents come with their kids and grandkids or you know two couples with kids or um, even had some where it's been um, a couple of sisters and they've had all the kids because the husbands have gone off for a fishing trip. And did you turn one of the bedrooms into a master? Yeah, one of the uh, bedrooms was, you know, they're quite large rooms. So we turned into a master, put an ensuite in there. Um, and even with that, there's still good size rooms. So it's not like, you know, you're just trying to stack beds for the sake of it. And then to appeal to the kids market, because probably I heard it on one of the other podcasts or somewhere along the line, you know, while it's the, the parents that choose the destination, it's the kids that will decide the actual location. So we've got in the kids room, there's a, a giant London double decker bus bunk. And we, we knew that that sort of worked because once we put it together, our kids were playing on it for a couple of hours. So, and it's just a bed. So, but that's just the sort of thing. It's, it's having that appeal in there. Right. That's smart because when the parents are going to read in the review, in the reviews, how much fun the kids of other families were having, then I'm sure that uh, would be a great relief. If you can leave your kids uh, to play with the bed for a couple of hours, then uh, you, know, you can take a little rest and read a book or something. Yeah, so you have that and you've also got, you know, there's kids' toys and books and Playstations and all the rest of it. So, yeah, on the off chance that, you know, uh, Jolly Old England has a little bit of rain, there's still plenty of stuff to do inside and <laughs> they don't, <laughs> don't feel like that, you know, came all this way, paid all this money and then we got stuck and had nothing to do. So trying right. to cater for that as well. Yeah, I guess having uh, some activity options that you can do when it's raining is, is quite important when you're hosting in England. Yeah, yeah, and we've also uh, figured out in the area the uh, the places which are got um, soft plays for little kids, and there's a couple of them in there which are free. So it's sort of like, okay, well, you know, if it's raining, go along to here. You've got uh, you got the bar in there as well, so you can watch the the sports, and everyone can just uh, have a good time. You've heard me talk about hostfully a lot over the past few months. I love sending my beautiful hostfully guidebook to my guests as it makes me look very professional. I also love including screenshots of my guidebook in my actual Airbnb listing. This helps me stand out from the crowd. Well, now I'm thrilled to announce that I'm a sponsor of the Hostfully Host program. Twice a month, Hostfully selects a host and features them on their top-ranked blog. This is great promotion for your listing and a cool way to share your favorite local spots to a large audience. What's even cooler is that each Hostfully host gets a free set of organic sheets from the clean bedroom. And now that I'm a sponsor, you'll also be featured in my newsletter, my social media feeds, and you'll get free access to my video course on how to be a great host. For more details and how to apply, visit hostly.com slash hostly host. Awesome. Let's talk a little bit about management because I know you live in London, right? So you're managing your property remotely. 
Yes, that's correct. When we first purchased the property, we did a pretty extensive refurb and it was always a matter of, you know, we're not going to be able to check in guests and everything has to be designed so it can be done remotely. So, you know, in terms of having key safe lock boxes and just all the systems behind that, you know, using the channel manager, having good communication with the guests. And, you know, just doing little things like we've uh, created a, a Dropbox and within the Dropbox, we've gone through and scanned in like all the local brochures. So they're in there and all the different um, manuals for appliances and anything like that. So if uh, anything ever does go wrong, you've got these uh, ports of call first and foremost and making sure that also to the, uh, the guest guidebook is quite extensive as well. So you're using some systems, you're using a smart lock, you're using Dropbox, is there anything else in terms of technology that you use? I think those, you've, you've hit on the, the main ones there, particularly with the, the channel manager, just keeping the communication going. The guests, you know, they do end up with my own personal mobile number. I don't usually get too many calls. And usually if it is, it's, it's about parking or something like that, which you do try to highlight to the guests beforehand. But look, I can appreciate it. People just jump in the car last thing on a Friday afternoon and they're not paying too much attention. So again, thinking of it as customer service and just going, okay, okay, this is what the parking is. Hope you can find it. Um, if you need more information, it's in the guest book. And yeah, everyone's been giving great reviews from that. And you're listing also on other platforms, not just Airbnb? Yeah, also listing on Booking.com and try to also TripAdvisor and a few of the other ancillary ones. I'm finding that um, Booking.com, uh, I, I guess it's a European thing, is actually quite a significant source as well. Yeah, Booking.com is very popular in Europe. I personally always use it when I book hotels. Yeah, and it's probably um, based out of Amsterdam, which is always a bit of a challenge because uh, – When you're initially setting up on the platform, they still uh, insist on sending out via traditional mail uh, an access code to the property. And that, that took about six weeks to get. But I had been given the heads up on that. So it was kind of factored in, but it, it still was annoying uh, when we're so used to this day and age where you can do most things online pretty quickly. But I appreciate they do that so to try to cut down a lot of the credit card fraud that's happening. And how does it work on Booking.com? Because I think the guests, they will pay directly to you. They don't pay to Booking.com. Is that correct? Booking.com have recently gone and changed their system over. So you can actually get Booking.com to collect payment on your behalf, which is an interesting how we've got it set up because we're just racing to get everything set up and we just didn't want to be dealing with uh, Stripe and part of a uh, another merchant provider. And part of a networking group had uh, other people have set up and it's taken them a while. And do you see any differences in the, the clientele that you get from Airbnb versus Booking.com? I think the clientele on Booking.com, we by default, you have to have instant book, which after a while, we just turned that on for Airbnb as well. Just um, But still, you need to have your be verified with a couple of different um, documentation. I think the, the clientele on booking.com, because of the instant book, they generally, they'll make a decision. So the first time you'll know about it is basically here we've booked. Airbnb, I find they have a tendency to want to know more about the property or have specific interests that are, are being tailored to um, whether or not, you know, the, the shopping's local or different things there. And I find a lot more um, business clients actually coming through 
booking.com because in the area there, particularly during the week in the off season, there's a lot of um, people traveling for work and different things like that. So it, it's been good because then we can still you know just keep things ticking over with a few few people coming down for work. So are you using a particular type of software to make sure that your calendars are synchronized and that you don't get double bookings? Yeah, I use a channel manager, which enables me to be on the multiple different sites and just push out the calendar information so you don't get the double bookings. And that also then too, and the channel manager from the, the back end is then able to automate a lot of, um, you know, emails coming into the guests and, you know, the, the, the codes and those sorts of things. Right. And then you're also able to respond to messages in one place. So you don't have to log into booking.com and TripAdvisor and Airbnb. You can just all message your guests from one place. Yeah, exactly. So you get all the information coming into one place. So you can deal with it there. I've also given my cleaners like a staff access to that account. So when I go through and I get a booking, um, because there's all sorts of different bed configurations, we've got these uh, Ziploc beds. So they can either be, you know, two big singles, or you put them together and there's doubles, which then just adds logistics in terms of, well, what type of bedding? Do I need king size fitted sheets? Do I need singles? Da, 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 da. So it just enables you to help control all of that because I'm, I'm never there doing it and I'm just relying upon the, the cleaners. And that's one of the key things. If you're doing something remotely, the, the cleaners that you have are absolutely critical for your success. Absolutely. How did you find your cleaning staff? As part of the research, when we were doing it, we were actually going and staying with competitors. So it's very much in that vein of Sam Walton, where the guy who set up Walmart, where he spent so much more time in his competitors' uh, shops than his own, trying to learn from them. So that's what we did. We stayed with a lot of the local ones there. And uh, we could walk into a place and sort of go, oh, well, you know, this one's kept really, really nicely. We should try to find out who the cleaners are for this. And we actually came across that one by accident because one of my uh, my sons, they left their little cuddly toy and we didn't realize that until we got in the car as we were checking out and just happened that the cleaners came in at the time and um, we just sort of asked them for some further details and been working with them since. And also too, just sort of checking out what the cleaners were all about. This company, they basically employ working mums, which works out great because, you know, they've got the kids' school run, which goes at nine. So then they can be in for checkout at 10, go through and clean. They'll have the school run then at about three o'clock in the afternoon when guests are checking out us um, coming in as well so it just means you by and large you're guaranteed that their workforce is going to be available and for them it, it suits them down to the ground that's a very smart idea to stay at some local airbnbs and something that i think is is really a good recommendation for anyone who lo is looking to invest in an airbnb is to just stay with some airbnbs in the neighborhood where you want to buy because not only uh, is that an opportunity to meet your future cleaning staff, but you also get to understand a little bit better, you know, what your competitors are doing, but also what the, the guests are looking for, right? What, what type of guests are visiting the area and stuff. So I think that's a uh, essential groundwork before you invest. Yeah. And certainly, uh, it's with the cleaners. Once we took them on, they then actually told the other guys, uh, the other owners and, the other owners got in touch and uh, it's while they're a competitor and everything, we've actually sat down and, you know, just had a bit of a, a chat about uh, different things they've found, different things we've found. And certainly when I get some guest making inquiries with bookings I can't handle, you know, I'll text them and say, hey, look, you know, we've got this inquiry. What do you like? So even though the competitors, it's actually sort of quite a friendly sort of thing. Right. Yeah, there's a synergy 
to be made between uh, different Airbnb hosts in the same area. Yeah, yeah, because I think we all face generally the same sorts of challenges. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, from my experience, Airbnb hosts are typically very uh, willing to you know to help other people out. So that's uh, good to hear that it worked out for you. Yeah, I think the the personality type you need to be sort of customer service focused, and so you're generally trying to help people out. Right. So we're getting to the end of the show, but I uh, do want to ask you one last question because, I mean, you've hosted uh, a number of people now in your house. What are some of the most remarkable, memorable, or interesting experiences that you've had with your guests so far? I think with my guests, I've been pretty lucky. I mean, it's a good sort of area. You get a good clientele base. So most people are always, you know, really appreciative of all the fine details and you know they're, they're having great stays and making uh leaving fantastic reviews and so you know there's at this stage no horror stories to report i'm sure at some stage that will happen um but i think you have a decent quality value proposition and product and people respond to that so you haven't had any issues at all Nothing major. I, I think, you know, there's been a, the occasional somebody's left some stuff, which then I've just as courtesy gotten their address and sent it to them. I think it was a jacket or something. Um, you've had the occasional, I think somebody may have spilt some wine on one of the carpets, but we've got a really good relationship with our, our trades and everything. So, you know, paid them a, a few extra pounds and we just saw it as a cost of doing business and able to get that out quite they're quite quick so yeah if the worst i've had so far is just a wine wine spillage then uh yeah uh, i haven't had it as bad as others all right well let's pray that it keeps that way in the future and good luck with uh your second property that you're you're researching that right now are you yeah, we've uh, pretty much going through. We've made an offer. We're deep into the uh, conveyancing process, so hopefully that's going to drop pretty soon. And lining up our our builders who did the last one did a great job on that to to go through and uh, and hit that early in the new year. Awesome, that's great. Well, thanks, uh, Matt, for coming on the show and sharing your Airbnb experience with everybody. And of course, uh, good luck with everything in the future. And for the listeners. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. And of course, on Friday, we'll be discussing this week's news in this week in the world of Airbnb. So hope to see you then. Get paid for your pet. 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 Yeah.